Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, good morning, Renovation. And that passage of Scripture has kind of been our theme passage throughout this season. And uh, I'll be honest with you, there are times it's hard for me to, especially flying on an airplane twice in the last few days, to be gracious in my speech. Anyway, uh, it is interesting. Uh, Both planes were mostly packed. And uh, yeah, so it was interesting. But anyway... Just glad to be here, and just want to tell you, you know, over the last few days, uh, thank you for your prayers for our family, for Jan's family, the Goodwin family, as we laid Betty to rest on Friday, and, you know, just reminded me, reminded me sitting there next to that graveside, you know, this is not the end. Honestly, for Betty, it was just the beginning, and it's pretty awesome to know that we have that great hope. The word says that if a resurrection isn't real, if it's not what we think it is, we're to be pitied more than most. But I think, don't think we're supposed to be pitied because we believe the resurrection is there. Last week we left you off at Luke uh, 24, 35 was the last verse where the disciples, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had gone back to Jerusalem to let the other disciples know Jesus is alive. That message never really gets old. (laughs) It never gets old saying that over and over. Jesus is alive. That's good news. Well, before I read that passage of scripture, just to remind you, they get back there. Peter, John, James, those, the, the, the big three, I'm sure were there. And they put themselves in a mess, right? We, it's kind of a second part of walk through a mess, even though we're now back in Jerusalem. Because they were running when it was time to stand. Too ashamed to go forward, but too convicted to give up. <laughs> Ever been there? <laughs> you sort of stood, but you ran. You're ashamed of where you are, but you're so convicted, you know there's a greater hope. And you go, I'm going to lean into this. I'm not sure what it means, because at this point, they'd heard rumors that Jesus was alive. They'd been told, but we're going to read today, that they see. They came back. They gathered. Daring to dream, but maybe just a little bit. One of the things, that it's, it's, it's no doubt that they took with them after the garden, after the cross, was the memory of them running. And they were in a mess, no doubt, going, now what do we do with this? Well, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 49, it's where we're going to read 13 verses here. 14 verses, and so let's go. While they were there talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Is it I myself? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? I love this about Jesus. I don't know about you. Thinking about eating. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I had told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Folks, we are preaching ashes to fire, and we'll continue on that. The promise is there. The promise is coming. The promise has come for us, but it was coming for them. And no doubt, they were probably sitting there looking out the window, uh, whatever that looked like, wherever they were, and and looking at the wall, looking at the floor. I, I, I would say most of all, they were probably looking inside, have you ever been in the middle of it going, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering what all is going on out there, but sometimes you just have to stop and go, what's going on inside of me? Why am I here right now? I know there's circumstances out of my control, but why am I the way I am right now? See, I believe when you're in a mess, that's the place you start. What we often do when we're in a mess, we begin to look at everything else. We begin to look at that, and we begin to look at that and blame that person. And why am I? What we need to do is to start looking inside. By the way, if messes follow you, you may be the common denominator. Just saying. Maybe no. One of the sayings we say around here and we talk about in our uncommon training, if you're going on a trip, what's the first thing you need to know? And often people say is where you're going, and that's important. But what's most important is knowing where you are right now. And thank goodness the disciples began to go, we hope in that moment, begin to ask, where am I right now? Because for many of you, and many of, and I know it was in my life for especially a decade, I began to keep moving. I'd dream of something new. I'd get a new destination. The problem was I'd take the baggage with me. I'd take maybe the open wound with me. I'd take my shame and guilt with me. So it almost it never really mattered where I went because I look up and the same stuff is there and maybe even worse because what happens is when we go on a trip and we don't deal with where we are right now and deal with maybe those things in our life, what is going on inside of me if I don't do that? And when I move to the next location, if you will, doesn't necessarily mean a physical location, but continue to move in life, what I do is take that with me. And why it gets worse is, it's because potentially I may find new things to try to deal with it. 
And maybe the bigger thing is, I impact more people. The longer I go with this and don't look inside and go, how can I? No matter if it was brought on by somebody else, we get that. People are victims. Never hear, please never hear me say, think that I'm saying nobody's not, that somebody's not a victim. But there's a difference between staying there, though. That there is healing, there is hope. You know, most of us would never let a open wound that's on our hand. I've been trying to heal some. You know, it's hard to heal when you're washing your hands 48 times a day. <laughs> if you've got a cut on your hand, you know, about 48 times. I maybe I know a little exaggerated there, but maybe not. Who knows? But it is. But man, you get a little bit of anything, a little soft in that little, man, it still hurts because it's still open. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you right now is because when Jesus comes to them and they could not, no doubt, get him out of their mind, this man that claimed to be the Savior of the world, to be God himself, had really told them what to do, but they still ran. A promise they felt like they were going to keep, but they ran. And Jesus says, why do you doubt? And he says, look at my hands and my feet. Look. And we'll read here in a little bit. He told one of the disciples to touch the scars. To touch so you will know that I'm healed. I'm on the other side of the cross. I'm on the other side of death. I love what Jesus says when they're sitting there probably mumbling and going, man, we were, we're losers. We're just that. You know, who knows what all they're saying? And they hear this. And aren't you glad the way it's written that Jesus says this up front? That he doesn't come in, hang out with them like for 40 minutes and they're all going, oh my goodness, what is he going to, he's about to rip into us. He's about to say to us, where were you guys? When I needed you most, you ran. No, he says up front, the way it's written, peace be with you. <sighs> now we can deal with some of the other stuff. Now we can work through some of the other things. But just know up front, the intention of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, even though he knows, he did, why did you doubt he wants to make sure up front, <sighs> peace be with you. The word in verse 40, 45 says, he opened their minds so. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life, but I've sure had it happen in mine. When I'm walking with Jesus, and I, I believe as a believer that I've walked with him all these years, and there are times I'm kind of like these disciples. There's times maybe I doubt. Sometimes I, a promise I made at an altar, a promise I made to the Lord in, in, scripture, or, or in prayer or in my quiet time, or a promise I made to someone else, that, and because I'm a representative of the kingdom, there are times I'm going, oh, man. 
But also there are times we're in the middle of a circumstance and maybe there's this little bit of doubt, maybe here in COVID, uh, this season we're in, that maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of doubt. Does God know what's going on? But I don't know if you've ever done this like I have. There are times later on I go, (laughs) I see what you're up to. I get it now, but I didn't get it then. Isn't that the thing in the middle of transition or transformation? So many times in the middle of it, we just wonder not only what we're we're even looking internally, but we're even looking to God going, okay, I'm not sure you remember where I am right now. And then later we look back and go, (laughs) I get it. I get it. But Jesus says to these disciples, why are you troubled? Why did you doubt? Look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. I'm not a ghost. Man, they thought it maybe was. Remember a few weeks ago we preached on when he came on the water before dawn. They were concerned he was what? A ghost. But he was the Savior. Never mistake the Savior for a ghost. Just life in general, okay? But there's another place where he addresses one of the disciples, I think about a week later or so. His name's Thomas. Now, you may have heard him. If you've never really read Scripture, don't know much about the Bible, his name, we call him Doubting Thomas, and we'd say that about other people. You may have heard the phrase used somewhere in your life, not even knowing where it originally came from. But let me just tell you briefly about Thomas here. One of the reasons I love Thomas, again, like I do the other disciples here in this situation, but especially Thomas, is it, and one of the reasons I love Scripture so much is because we see ourselves in it. We go, oh, that's me. That, that, that's, you know, the reason I think so many times we love comedians, I don't know about you, but I love comedians, not vulgar, and I, I just can't even imagine why that's funny even though I used to be vulgar back in my, you know, lost decade. I can't imagine vulgar being fun. But what I can imagine is a comedian talking about my real life with my kids or going to the grocery store or wherever I am, and, and they make it, and you go, that's me. That's funny because that, that happens to you too. And everybody in the room's laughing because you realize it happens to everybody. And that's what Scripture does so many times. It goes, that's the reason why it's so good to be in the community because you go, oh, that's me. And somebody across the room goes, oh, I didn't know everybody else had that too. That's me too. Thomas. He wasn't there the first week. He wasn't there on Easter Sunday. And we look back a little bit on Thomas. We see Thomas kind of bowing up one time. Thomas is one of those guys who makes a statement going, I, I'm in, man. I, I, he, in in uh, John, chapter four, uh, John chapter 11, where Lazarus is dead and Jesus is going to go back to Judea to, 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 to Lazarus and, and the family and, and the disciples or some of the disciples say, no, no, we can't do that because if you go back to Judea, they've been threatening to kill you there. You can't go back. And what does Thomas do? I'm willing to die for you. Of course, Jesus heard that a lot, right? (laughs) Or at least from a few people. But anyway, but there is something about watching a man be flogged and crucified and dying going, "Mm, not sure I'm in on that. 
Not sure I'm as committed to that as I thought I was. Again, he's the only one who's not present when we read here, when we read in Luke chapter 24. But how many of you know it's easy to really think of bravery as a trait that's there all the time? But you know, it's kind of crazy what some people are scared of in some moments and not afraid in other moments. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, I'm brave on this thing, but man, on this thing, yeah. I, I was listening to my brother-in-law this week. I, I was cracking up because he was talking about the fact that now he, is a, he's a, he was a jet, a jet fighter pilot and flies for an airline now, uh, international. But he was talking about driving down from Flagstaff down into uh, Oak Creek Canyon. And you know, with the overlook, I don't know if we have that picture or not. I, uh, I don't know if we do or not. I, I sent a picture, but I don't know if we, yeah, there it is. Most of you know this overlook, if you've been from Flagstaff down into Oak Creek Canyon, it's kind of hairpin, kind of, you know, but not bad. I never, I've, never, I've driven it with 15 passengers, with teenagers all in there. It doesn't bother me at all. But I find out. And we're laughing about it this weekend, or this week, talking about it. He did that a few years ago. Now, again, a fighter pilot now, a jet fighter pilot, froze up so bad driving down this that he turned white and had sweating so bad it was dripping off his chin. Had to pull over where his wife could drive it down. We're brave and I've never even thought about being scared driving down that road. So there are times we're brave in one moment. We go, man, it takes bravery to... And other moments we go, what? I don't understand that. So Thomas here, in a moment he's brave, and in another moment he's running. But John 20, 24 through 27 says this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. You'd think that'd be enough, right? He trusted these guys, but they also ran too. So he's going, okay, now I'm not near as sure of you guys as I used to be. <laughs> but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, and aren't you glad he does this? Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. See, Jesus addressed Thomas in a way that allowed Thomas to believe. He went, I think, from believing Jesus was raised from the dead to believing that Jesus was God, which even takes it to a whole different level. This is God that I'm, that I'm interacting with here. And what I love about the, uh, Thomas is that Thomas' moment of bravery way early on in John 11 didn't define him, and his doubt in Luke 24 didn't define him either. We are a complicated people, folks, and there are moments we'll be brave, and there are moments that we will doubt. We're all mixed into the same thing, but what I do believe we can walk out of this passage with with Thomas is this. 
when he was with Jesus, he believed. The further away he was from Jesus, he doubted. Touch the scars. Healed places. After the resurrection places. After death and the grave and the crucifixion, the resurrected hand. said this for a long time I realize nowadays you can look up almost anything as far as apologetics and uh, as far as Christianity if you really want to know you can go study stuff that I sure couldn't even share with you you can go look all that up and what I love about it is I think moving forward one of the things we've got to be able to do is to let people touch our scars because scars tell a story one of the greatest things that scars do, just like, I don't know if I can get my pant leg up here. I know y'all will love to see my leg here. I got a big old scar right there. If you can see it, I'll get it right in the middle of the camera here. I got a big old scar right there. You know what the story is? We ran cattle. My dad owned a baseball field. We ran cattle on that field in the winter. Winter? Winter. Not, you know, I know I'm from Arkansas. I was there too long. The winter. And one of the things that happens in a baseball field in winter in Arkansas, you let, you let the cows graze on it because you're not playing baseball. Okay, so the cows grazed on the baseball field. And then uh, the spring came, we're practicing baseball. Also, the other thing that happens in Arkansas is rocks come up from nowhere. It's like somehow or another rocks just get planted. They weren't there before, but now they rise up during the winter. So I was sliding into third base at practice, slid into third base, and boom, cut my knee wide open. And what I didn't realize, was there had been a cow patty also on that rock and so they took me to the doctor sewed it all up right my brother took me down there I was bleeding everywhere took me down there they sewed it up well it got infected and became like this big around because there's cow manure in it okay my point is there's a story behind it but guess what I'm okay I'm okay I got over it it's healed scars tell a story the main thing they tell a story of is healing and victory. But these open wounds have a tendency to carry baggage that takes us so far along that we may end up other things trying to deal with that open wound and it makes it more complicated the longer we go and we affect more people. And as believers, we want people not to touch our open wounds. And believe, even though they may, we may be in the midst of it at that point. I get that. I mean, we've had great loss over these last few years. We know what it's like to work through those kind of things. Tragic loss at times. Not only in this church, but my nephew Alex. And we know it's, it's but, but in the midst of that, there's healing still going on. It may not be as open as it was. My point is this, friend. I think going forward, one of the things we've got to be able to do, yes, there's doubt. And we've got to let people know there is doubt in our lives at times. But at the end of the day, God is healing. And he is the hope. Now, we are a church here that many of you have heard our mission statement before, so I won't wear you out with it. But it is to live by faith, to be known by love, and be a voice of hope. But to live by faith means, doesn't mean that we won't ever have some doubt. That, that, that's not what that means. 
But, but we do believe that God has a greater plan. He is up to something good. There is a future that's better than the present maybe I'm going through right now. But I love what Brian Houston says, uh, that faithfulness is holding on to your purpose and trusting in God's goodness in the midst of all the peaks celebrations, mountaintops, as well as the trials, temptations, tragedies that life throws at you. This is how you grow grounded in grace. Doesn't mean you won't have doubt at times, but man, you're growing. You believe through all these trials, you're still believing God has this in place, even though you may have anxiety at times. You may have those things. I'm not saying it's not, that's not a faith issue many times. But the question is, are you going to be faithful? Because you know God is. Continue to be faithful, to be known by love. I don't know if there's any other, I mean, since I've been alive, the world is calling us to live up to our best, folks. And the only way I can live up to my best is to promote their good, is to love them the way that Christ would. And the only way I truly can do that, I believe with all my heart, is to try to have as many things in my life healed. Because if I've got open wounds... I'm going to tell you, if I've got open wounds that I've never dealt with, I'm not saying you go out and harm anybody else. Just ask God to begin to heal or get help if you need to get help. Professional help. And please, I'm just going to say right now, don't share contact information by our, uh, our chat, folks. If you, want, if, you, if you can help somebody else, let us know, and we, if we feel like we can pass that forward, we will. But I'm just saying right now, get professional help. Let us help you. But what I'm saying, though, is when we have open wounds, everything goes through us first. We can't help it. There's no way around it. You can say you don't. I'm telling you right now, there is, it's impossible for it to somehow or another not filter through you first. But Christ begins to change how we process those things. See, you cannot love yourself, I believe, and still be stingy or lie or gossip. You cannot. Jesus talked about what's the grace. Love your, love your Lord, your God, with the heart, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We need to be healed for others. Even if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for others. And be a voice of hope. And what I love about hope is, and there's a lot of things we should say, I obviously love about hope, because you've heard me say over and over the last few weeks, the reason why we come and celebrate every Sunday, because hope never gets old. Joy never gets old. Peace never gets old. This kind of love never gets old. That's why we do this. But hope only, not only allows me to look at my life with great anticipation, it allows me to look at your life with great anticipation. That there is an answer to this. There is a great hope for your life. I believe that. And you may not accept it. You may not ever step into it. You may not ever choose to live it. But I believe with all my heart there is. And I believe that hope is the critical acceleration of a person's life. When you have hope in the future, you have power in the present. Jesus is the great hope. I am convinced God has a master plan. He's not waking up today on May 3rd, 2020 going, what in the world have I got myself into? He's got a plan. He's got a plan individually by name for each one of us. And when we work this together, something beautiful can happen. But healing is part of that. And knowing how to tell our story, to let people touch 
our scars and believe that there is a God who can heal is an amazing thing. Where do we go from here? First, acknowledge where you are. Pretty simple. Just acknowledge where you are. We are broken, and we need a Savior and a healer. I heard years ago, and you've heard this saying, if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it. Is that the right way to say it? Anyway, I believe if it's not broke, you may need to break it in this sense. Because the word says that, you, the, the word, it says that what God is looking for is a broken and contrite heart. That means every day. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But today, I die daily. I am broken. I come before you today as a broken vessel that needs to be put back together every day. That includes this pastor. And I'm telling you, there are specifics, though, that are broken and need to be healed, though. That you know what they are. And God wants to heal you more than you probably want to be healed. <laughs> Second thing is, where do you want to go? Where are you headed? Yeah, we want to know where we are right now, but where are you headed? I believe that Christ is in the life-changing business. That is what he does. He transforms people's lives. But let me say this, just a word of caution. As I said last week, Jesus is more, Jesus is the answer. Jesus will always be the answer to the ultimate questions of life. But he's more than that. Your salvation is more than a problem to be solved. Jesus just didn't come to feel, fix my problems. He came to give me life. That's even bigger. Not just you know, a great purpose. I love what Catherine Booth says. She's the wife of William Booth who started Salvation Army. I'm sure they started it together. But she says this, there is no improving the future without disturbing the present. I think we may be in the middle of that as a culture right now. Real lasting change. If you've ever been involved in a renovation project, sure, in the middle of it, you're going, what did I get myself into? And there are times we're in the middle of a, will, a renovation project that we're not a willing participant. But let me say this to you, friend. If you recognize that God's in the middle of a renovation project, you need to let him get to work. And you participate and you not only but you cooperate, Because you need to be reminded sometimes what we're being renovated for. Where am I going? God didn't just save me. It wasn't just what God saved me from. It's what he saved me for. It's both. Third, if you allow him, and I don't know if I have this up there. I don't know if you have it highlighted. God will always use the worst the enemy can do to steal, kill, and destroy to turn it into an instrument to reach people with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. If you allow him, God will always use the worst the enemy can do to steal, kill, and destroy and turn it into an instrument to reach people with a life-changing message of Jesus Christ. See, brokenness to me is the pathway to God, to the deeper walk with God. When you realize in the midst of this chaos, in the middle of this renovation, it's my pathway to a greater relationship with an almighty God. 
I want to say right here to, to my nieces and nephews that I sometimes when you're, you don't realize how much you miss people till you're with them. And unfortunately, distance sometimes causes that. But to Kelly and Casey and Kobe, to Catherine and Brandon, to Bailey and Reagan, of course, Alex is no longer with us. God loves you. Your Uncle Kurt and Jan have never forgotten about you. We've always been praying for you. God's on your side. We're on your side. I'm just so proud of you. That you haven't let the world and all of its things define you. You're fighters. And I just want to tell you how proud. And of course, I know there's four other, which are my children. <laughs> and that 12. But just love you. But again, that's the reason why we all walk this out together. We're broken people trying to figure out how to, and the sooner as we can understand that we are broken, God can begin to heal. The reason why I love reading about the disciples, reading about Thomas, because I just go, yeah, I get that. I may have been there this week. I may have been there last night. Just a little bit of that doubt. But I love what John Eldridge says from his book, Wild at Heart. He says, until we are broken, our life will be self-centered, self-reliant. Our strengths will be our own. So as long as you think you really are something in and of yourself, what will you need God for? I don't trust a man who hasn't suffered. I don't let a man get close to me who hasn't faced his own wounds. At 2 a.m., I, I don't want cliches. I want deep, soulful truth that only comes from a man who has walked the road I've, I've been talking about. The wound was given in a place of your strength as an effort to take you out. It is out of your brokenness you discover what you have to offer the community. Authenticity is what moves people, not your successes. Hear me. I don't, want to, I don't need to hear about all the things that you're gathering and all the things you've accomplished, and even though those are good because they could be all obvious part of God's plan. But where it becomes real to me is in your brokenness. When you let me know, because that tells me, I, me too. I'm in this with you too. I get it too. And again, that's what the disciples do for us when we read Scripture. We go, that's me too, but there is hope. This is not the end. Some of you should have never made it to 2020. You should have never made it here. There was multiple ways to be taken out, but you did. And you need to stick around and, and step up and see what the fight was all about. Fourth thing, just again, you need to decide. You need to decide it's worth it. You need to decide all what we've been doing, it's worth it. What we've been talking about, but you've heard me say over and over, there is power in decisiveness. And worth is our perception of what it is worth right now, not later. What's it worth to me right now to begin to make changes? What's it worth to me right now to begin to do the research or look inside myself? What's it worth to me right now? And the cost is the price tag that you're willing to do, and it may hurt, friend. I love what T.D. Jake says. He says, 
He says the problem is not what people want in their future. That's not the problem. It's what they're not willing to let go of right now is the problem. So when people in a marriage go, it's worth it, and we're willing to pay the cost, something beautiful happens. Something beautiful happens. And some of you have allowed a temporary circumstance to change you permanently. Let me say it again. Some of you have allowed a temporary, even you, you got to be careful not let COVID-19, this season we're in, this temporary thing that I believe it is. I don't, again, I don't know all the details of what God is up to or what, what we need to be doing as a culture, but I will say this. I believe it's temporary and you can't let it change you permanently. This may, matter, matter of fact, be a test in some ways to change you to be more than you ever were before. I hope it is for the church. I hope it is for us individually. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you're waiting for a, a day or a week or a decade to get your life together and do the right things you may, that, that's perfect, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm not trying to be, that there's not a perfect decade. The circumstances of our life are always going to happen. But I love what Dallas Willard says. God has, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithfully, faithlessly discard situation after switch, situation moment after moment as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. For those situations and moments are our life. We will not waste this time, folks. We will not waste this day. And I just believe right now, our God is up to something. And you know, I'm not trying to tell you he brought this on or anything else, but I'll tell you what, he always uses the worst the enemy can bring. For the life-changing message, the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you sign and become, we're going to move into a time of communion. I went a little longer today, and I'm going to tell you why. As the old saying I heard years ago, if I'd had more time, it'd have been a shorter message. So <laughs> this week was a little shorter than in preparation, but hopefully it was a blessing. Two, 2000, I preached a message called A Walk Through a Mess. First time I ever preached it. I left there that summer after I preached this. I think it was like May or something. I left. I was going so much of that summer for Encuentro and preaching at youth camps. It was one of the craziest times I'd ever been on in my life. I get back the first week of August. um, and We had three camps here in this district, I think, let alone all the ones I preached and all the other things. And I was exhausted. I got back on a Sunday morning and and I walk in to the sanctuary during the service. And and I'm, you know, I, I hear... You know, I hear the sermon. I, I don't even remember anything about it. So we go to Fazoli's. Anybody remember Fazoli's? Remember Fazoli's at Rural and, and Ray Road? Yeah, what happened to Fazoli's? And uh, I'm standing there in line, wiped out, drained, like I don't know if I've ever been drained before except COVID-19 and other things. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm standing there, and this man walks up behind me and taps me on the back, and in this heavy New York accent, heavy New York accent, goes, you Pastor Kurt? I said, yes. And he goes, you saved my life. 
says, sir, I don't know you. He goes, I know. He said, but you preached a message called A Road Through a Mess back in May. And my life was a mess, and I moved in the last month, moved to Arizona since you've been gone. And God has changed my life. And I said, I've never saved anybody. I'm just glad that somehow or another God used me as an instrument. Only Jesus can change your life. And he goes, I know. That man stayed working for Crossroads for many years named Kenny. Went to Arkansas with us and he became a light and continued. God changed his life. We don't save anybody. There's only one who does. And we're going to remember him right now. So if you would take your elements, I'm going to step just over, grab mine, steal my pimento jar and my cracker. I want to read this, and we'll continue next week and over the next few weeks leading our way into Pentecost. But Ann Voskamp says this. She says, continuously make the ever-present Christ present, continuously remembering the sweetness ran in the brokenness. In shattered places with broken people, we are the most near the broken heart of Christ. And fired our whole selves through the mystery of death and resurrection, through the memory of brokenness and abundance. We are the body sustained by his brokenness, his givenness, sustained by the last supper for the centuries we call simply Thanksgiving, the Eucharist. No one is ever wholly fed unless someone becomes wholly broken. This is how you live with your own one broken heart. You give it away. This is how you enter into the wholeness of Konania communion. This bread and blood are symbols of his death, and they are the essence of our new life. Amen? And take and taste it in a thousand ways. There's a revelation of brokenness turning right, under, right around into abundant wholeness right at the cure of the universe. Jesus told us to remember and the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he ate it. If you will take it to your comfort. At that same time, he took the cup, which represented his blood that was shed for us. Take now and drink to the comfort of your soul. And ask Josiah and him to close us in song as I pray for us now. And Lord, as we come before you broken, but put together, it's a crazy tension that we live in. We are transformed and being transformed. We are broken and whole all at the same time until we see you face to face to be made perfect then. Or there will be no more mourning or crying. There will be no more sickness. But to be with you would help us now as we sing, as we remember 
as we have taken communion of what you have done for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus.